Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I hope you're having a great day. I am so freaking pumped for you to meet my next guest, Ryan Boyle. Uh, There's so much happening in this big crazy world that can sometimes pull us down and try to anchor us there with negative thoughts. So I want to tell you about this kind of cool thing that I realized when I was interviewing Ryan. So I have some story people art that um, Tim and I one year bought for each other without knowing it. They're like um, kids drawings, but with really cool and wise sayings. You'll have to check them out. So anyway, I got this one for him because Tim was at a tough place with his racing career and it really like just hit me as a as a different way to say to him, you can choose the way you look at things. And so the story people art says, I once had a garden filled with flowers that grew only on dark thoughts, but they need constant attention. And one day I decided I had better things to do. I love that. What do you think? It's this concept that you can stop watering your negative garden And it's really applicable when you go through a serious trauma, for instance, and you come out the other side and you're faced with a life that is so different and more challenging than the one that you lived before. You can focus on the negative or you can live life optimistically. It's a choice. Ryan Boyle is a person who makes the choice every day to not waste a single drop of water on the negative flowers. He's 24 years old today. At age nine, he was riding a big wheel at a friend's birthday party, and he was hit by a truck and dragged down the street. His head injury was so traumatic that they they actually had to remove part of his cerebellum because it was so damaged. Um, he, I'm getting chills just thinking about it again. Um, He awoke from a coma two months later, and he defied all odds by first surviving. They really didn't think he would. Um, And what happened after that is nothing short of a miracle. And yes, we will talk about miracles on the show today. So when Ryan was in ninth grade, because he got right back into his uh, grade level in school, he published a book called When the Lights Go Out, A Boy Given a Second Chance. I mean, who writes a book in ninth grade? (laughs) I picked it up on Amazon, and uh, after you listen to this episode, I'm sure you'll want to pick it up too. Definitely mark that down right now so you don't forget. I literally couldn't put it down. I read it in two days. Um, Before we roll, I do want to talk to you about my sponsor, Health IQ. As you know, I want to do this podcast indefinitely because I believe in the power of connecting people. But I need to, uh, you know, I need support to do it. 
So I choose to work with people and brands that I believe in that are aligned with my values. Um, If you're interested in sponsoring the show and you think you're a good fit, please reach out to me. Um, Today's sponsor, Health IQ, is a phenomenal company based in Southern Cal that helps healthy people get better rates on life insurance. They use science and data. They literally use your race results on athletes, or you can send them fitness tracker activity or Strava activity um, to prove that you're a healthy individual to get you better rates. If you're interested to see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com backslash RTW, that stands for Run This World, and tell them I sent you. The process is very easy. Um, I've actually gone through it myself, and I can't believe it took me this long to get serious about future planning, but that's what happens when you finally have a kid. At least that's what happened to me. (laughs) All right, everyone, back to Ryan. Um, Be sure that you listen to this episode with an open heart and an open mind. It's really tough to imagine yourself or someone you love going through something so traumatic and life-changing. I'm just so grateful that Ryan has the guts and vulnerability to share his journey. As he told me beforehand, I asked, is anything off the table? And he said, no, I'm an open book. You can ask me anything. And so I did. Um, I hope you enjoy this one. If you do, please take a moment to share the episode with someone who needs it and and uh, as extra credit, write a review on iTunes because, you know, we need to get the word out about Ryan Boyle and the show that helps connect so many. So with that, let's bring him on. All right. Well, let's get started. Ryan, I'm so, so excited to chat with you today. You are one of the most positive and uplifting people I've ever known, and I even barely even know you yet. So thank you for coming on the show. Hi, you're welcome. So uh, I wanted to lead with this cool thing. So I had the time wrong for our interview, and you know, I was like, Ryan, where are you? I'm calling you at noon, and our interview is supposed to be 1.30, and I get your voicemail. And it says, you've reached Ryan Boyle. I'm out making something of my life. And I just thought that is the greatest voice message I have ever heard before. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love it. And you know, to me, it just shows that we're going to get into your story here that no matter what happens in your life, it's all about your attitude and outlook. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks. So, yeah, I a lot of people commenting on how great my voicemail is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's a there's a greatness behind the great voicemail. So let's get into it. Um, you know, you are today an accomplished athlete. You live and train at the Olympic Training Center. Um, you're a college graduate, right? Um, no, I'm still taking classes. So you're a college student. You have you've written a book. You know you've got this seemingly great life, but we know that your seemingly great life probably really is great. Um, it, it you came to this great life in a pretty tough way. So I think uh, I think we should go ahead and lead with, you know, what happened to you when you were nine years old that put you in a place, a new journey in life? Yeah. Um, so I was hit by a truck 
when I was at a friend's birthday party. So I was taking a turn on his big wheel toy and I slid down the road um, or slid down his driveway into the road where a speeding pickup truck was coming by. And it hit me in the back of my head and crushed the back of my skull, penetrating bits of my cerebellum, which controls many of the body's functions. So a large portion of that had to be removed in emergency brain surgery, where I came out of uh, um and my neurosurgeon told my parents that I operated on him as if he had a chance, but I don't believe he does. So that sort of set the tone for the next two months while I was in a coma. But to back up a little bit, you know, it was completely devastating what happened to me because I grew up being a very athletic kid. Like, I loved to run and ride my mountain bike, my dirt bike, I mean, anything. I loved to be outside. So this really turned my world upside down. And... um <clears throat> When I came out of my coma, I was only able to move my right index finger. So the neurologist who first saw me said that he's optimistic that I'll regain enough strength in my right hand to type. So, you know, <laughs> my future looked pretty bleak at that point. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And you know, you were so young. How old are you today? 24. 24. So you were nine years old. You're this active, robust kid. And you guys grew up um, in you grew up in the East Coast, right? Yes, in Connecticut. Mm hmm. And I mean, we all live lives where we're just going about our normal daily stuff, never imagining that something big could happen that changes our future. And it doesn't just change our future. It changes the future of the people who care about us, too. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, as you're lying in a coma for two months, I mean, you don't probably have memories of the coma. Correct. <laughs> um. <laughs> Well, it's interesting. I do remember some things. Um, so, for instance, I never watched the Ninja Turtles cartoon before my accident. But after my accident, I had vague memories of certain episodes and I didn't know where these memories came from, but I finally concluded it must have been on TV during my coma. 
Oh my gosh, because your family, you have an older brother, and your family visited you or was at your side for most of the early recovery, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, they never left my side. You know, in your book, and we're going to talk about this quite a bit, you know, you guys, Ryan wrote a book when you were, what, a freshman in high school? Um, my... The summer of my eighth grade year. Wow. It's so amazing. I I read it. It's called When the Lights Go Out. And the subtitle is A Boy Given a Second Chance. And, you know, there's a chapter in the book that you didn't write because you couldn't write it because you didn't really know what was happening. And that was from the moment of impact until really when you woke up. And that's the chapter that your dad wrote. Right. Yep. And I think a lot of people listening are listening as parents who our greatest fear in life is that something devastating happens to our children. Right. So it makes me choked up even talking about it. Um, And so maybe just a few minutes here, we can talk a little bit about your relationship with your parents and, you know, any thoughts you might have for parents being the kid in this situation, what did they do right? What did, could they have done better? You know, how much help were they for you during this process? Yeah, uh, they were a great support team. Um, I really couldn't name anything that they did wrong. (laughs) Um, They really just, put every ounce of energy into my recovery. You know, um, they brought me to the best hospital for my treatment while I was in the ICU in my coma. And then once I was coming out of it, my mom researched um, rehab hospitals in the area that were top-notch. So I went to Blythdale Children's Hospital in Valhalla, New York. And uh, there my mom actually lived with me for the full seven months. So I don't know a whole lot of other parents that would do that. That's really, I mean, you know, it just goes to show that we don't do this stuff alone. And the stronger our support systems are, the better chance we have. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're sitting here talking right now. So clearly you, you know, you did more than move your index finger and you're doing more than typing, but you didn't come out of your coma speaking clearly like you had to start over in a way, right? Oh, absolutely. Will you talk yeah. to us a little bit about your recovery and and whatever stories come up or, or stories about your support or whatever happened along the way here? Yeah. So um, for about three weeks after my coma, I could not speak. So in speech therapy... What my therapist created for me was a message board, and she taped that to the tray 
on my wheelchair. So I would move my finger towards a certain picture depicting an emotion or an adjective or whatnot. And um, that was actually pretty tough because at the time, I didn't even have the strength or the control to move my arm. So my dad would actually have to guide my arm. So it didn't work out too well. <laughs> would he guide it to the wrong thing sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> the the answer he wanted to hear. No, Ryan wants this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, you've had you have a lot of physical uh, mountains you have to climb here in your recovery, but could you understand what was going on? Like, was there also some mental uh, capacity that had to be relearned? Oh, yeah. So when I first came out of my coma, I, wa I didn't even know my alphabet or one plus one. And previously, I was in the fourth grade. So, um, fortunately, there was a public school system integrated into the hospital. So, I would go to therapies, and then in the time in between, I would go to school. And... Uh, at first, I was in the first grade class, but, you know, I was really struggling there. And I, quite frankly, didn't even know where I was. I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, um, uh, like, to clarify that a little bit, I began speaking again in about three weeks after I awakened. And then I started to realize, like, what happened to me and where I was and all. But aside from that, it took roughly a month for my brain to progress to the level that I was at before my accident. So like a very short, like a one month isn't a lot of time, but when you're living it, it's probably very frustrating and takes forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> there was a, a really kind of funny story. You have a great sense of humor, by the way. So when you guys pick up his book, I think you have to really think about the fact that this was an eighth grader who wrote this incredible book and your sense of humor was way ahead of its time. <laughs> but <laughs> you, um, you shared a story in there about when you're, when you asked like, what happened to me? Will you share that again? What your parents, yeah. how that yeah. went? So actually that's a story I tell quite often because I find it funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Needless to say, when I wasn't able to speak, 
I formulated a theory in my head that I was just living some sort of dream and I would wake up because, I mean, honestly, how else do you describe what was going on? <laughs> um, and once I was able to speak again, I was able to muster up the words of what happened to me. And my parents told me with a very uh, flat face and all to explain that they were serious. They said I was hit by a truck and I immediately started <laughs> cracking up. <laughs> Like I the, couldn't stop laughing. Oh my god! Were, and did they laugh at all? No, not <laughs> at all. No. <laughs> so you could barely talk at that point, but you could definitely laugh. And they were probably so confused by your response. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So do you think that having humor and a sense of humor is, um, do you think it helped with your recovery? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, without it, it would have been a very bad time. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what, what, give me an example of um, times that you needed to dig into that the humorous side of life when you're going through such big things? Huh. Um, um, so that's a good question. <laughs> um, I would say just like with all my therapy and stuff, it was grueling, like nothing about it was enjoyable. <laughs> but in my classroom or whatnot, uh, my teacher had an Xbox, and I loved cars, and I still do. <laughs> so he had a car racing video game, so, um, so I would play that at the end of the day and, you know, just joke around with him, uh, to get my mind off of therapy, to get my mind off of my life and just how, how miserable it was at the time, you know, having a sense of humor to just joke around with people was a great uh, relief to get me away from just my everyday struggles. Yeah, I think that's a good lesson for all of us. Because, you know, we often, we, by we, I mean people, <laughs> take we take live, life and ourselves, like, too seriously a lot. And to look at you, who's going through one of the most traumatic things that can happen to a person, you know, a traumatic brain injury, and literally having to have emergency brain surgery and relearn everything 
um, again. And you don't know how far you're going to get on the path of relearning too, right? Because brain injuries, there's a lot people don't know about brain injuries. And sometimes people stop at um, being only able to move their finger, like your doctor thought. And sometimes people get all the way to becoming, you know, badass athletes again, like you did. So, you know, it's got to be hard when you're going along this path and kind of not knowing where it's going to lead you. Right. Right. Definitely. Um, With your during your recovery, how long were you in the hospital? When did you get to go home? Like, were there milestones you had to meet in order to be able to do that? Um, Yes and no. Uh, So actually... A phenomenal story about my mom, actually, is uh, how she fought to no end for the patients to be able to go on home visits. So before I was a patient there, there were no home visits. Wow, so so she's a pioneer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, So she was striving to get me home for Christmas. That was Christmas of uh, 2003. So that fortunately came true. And... You know, I was still in no kind of uh, shape to really be on my own. So I was in a heavy-duty supportive wheelchair, and I couldn't walk or anything. And we lived in a colonial at the time. So... All of the bedrooms were upstairs. And one of my favorite stories is how my brother would carry me up the stairs every night. And he had bunk beds. So he slept on the top and he let me use the one on the bottom. And, uh, At the time, I couldn't eat orally, so I had a feeding tube in me, and that was hooked up to a machine that made this obnoxious noise all night long. (laughs) He had to live with it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was unbelievable. I mean, the things that... He had to endure were astounding, but, you know, it helps when you're going through something with someone else. Yeah, it does, because being alone, we don't need to be alone in this life, and a lot of people shut themselves off to other people helping them. Exactly. Did, um, how... Your brother's amazing. Your parents are amazing. How did your friendships hold up or evolve as this happened? I mean, these are young kids. So, I mean, anyone listening who has a nine or 10 year old, 
you know, this is heavy stuff for them. And, uh, you know, not to mention you. <laughs> uh-huh. So uh-huh. were you, were your friends able to adapt or did you need to make new friendships at this time? Well, a lot of my friends uh, really alienated me afterwards. Like, they were scared of me and stuff. So, I lost a lot of friends. But I became really good at making new friends. And I definitely think that contributed to my personality today. Because... Uh, that was one of my favorite things about school after uh, so long, um, just knowing that I have to make new friends, and those friends never knew me before my accident, so they don't think I'm different at all. So uh, they just knew the Ryan 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> And it kind of seems like you're like a Ryan 3.0 now. (laughs) Um, So, you know, that's got to be hard and hurt your feelings. And, you know, these are that stuff that like you just wish that you wouldn't have had to go through. But at the same time, I mean, what a beautiful way to be able to open yourself up to new people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, you know, the saying, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. (laughs) You're living proof. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so you went back to school and you were able to get back to like a fourth grade level and continue in your regular grade classes. Yeah. Yeah. So. Actually, I never missed a beat in school when I came back home to the public school system in town. So uh, that was nice, and that also contributed to how I needed to make new friends and all that. You know, let's talk a little bit about some of the barriers that you had in school, Um because it really sounds like school systems are not set up to help people who are going through what you went through to advance at a proper level because they're probably scared of lawsuits and liabilities. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, one thing that sticks out in my mind in particular is um, how... I was in physical therapy in school, and, you know, they were very paranoid, and they held me back and hampered my progression, things like that. So um, one day, they're like, I think you're ready to sit in a chair like your classmates, and I was so excited. But they're like, well, we're going to work up to that. So (laughs) first, we need to get you in a straight-back chair, you know, a chair that 
you would find around a dining room table or whatnot. And I'm just thinking, you have got to be kidding me. (laughs) With my private therapist at home, I've been sitting in beanbag chairs for the past month. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So it's so frustrating. But did you just have to learn to let them go through their process? Yeah, yeah. That's what I did. I mean, I had that mentality of just suck it up. But (laughs) it was not fun by any means. (laughs) So can we talk a little bit about traumatic brain injury? Um, You know, there's a lot of people who suffer from traumatic brain injuries and you can't see any difference. They have... um, more cognitive issues for you maybe it came out as more physical and the cognitive caught up faster right yeah did you ever like tell me tell just tell us a little bit about what you know about traumatic brain injuries and the the things that are still difficult for instance or the things that you overcame that people are really amazed at Yeah, um, so I'm so blessed in that my uh, traumatic brain injury didn't affect my memory, which is the case with a lot of them. Like, there was someone I knew from my earlier years who was older and got in a car accident, so... He had a traumatic brain injury, but it affected his frontal lobe, which controls memory. So his short-term memory loss was astounding. And, I mean, he could meet someone and, like, an hour later he would have to get reintroduced and all that. And to see that is just really sad and unfortunate. So I'm very thankful that my uh, traumatic brain injury only affects me physically. So um, the condition that I have is called ataxia. And it makes my brain say one thing and my muscles do another, which is quite obvious when I'm walking. But when I'm sitting or something, you really couldn't tell that there's anything wrong with me. Right. So, yeah, it's it's pretty funny <laughs> because the way I walk is just very spastic and all. So needless to say, I can't walk a straight line. So I would fail a sobriety test every time. (laughs) (laughs) But you can ride a straight line. I can. However, that's with three wheels. Yep. That's... 
Yeah, it's so, a good little equalizer, but it's not that much. I mean, you still have to have some serious skill to do that. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Um, but to go back to the way I walk and stuff, you know, it goes in line with my sense of humor just to make light of it because, I mean, certain things you just have to live with. And um, I would just like to chalk it up to uh, walking like I'm a drunkard or something. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh, you are so funny. Um, I mean, you are old enough to drink alcohol, so you may know what that feels like. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I shouldn't answer so quickly. I mean... (laughs) I've read about it on the internet. Right. <laughs> so um, so you also, through this process, have had um, a deeper faith in religion that's really taken hold. Um, and I think you have some really interesting experiences that have... Uh, I don't even know how to phrase it, but not just tested, but created faith where there was none. Maybe you can talk to us a little bit about about that part, the spiritual part of recovering and becoming who you are today. Yeah. Um, well, my family always had a fairly strong faith. Um, my dad worked for the Archdiocese of Bridgeport, Connecticut for about 15 years. And that's where he was working during my accident and all. So um, he would pray in the chapel before work every day for my recovery and all that. And um, Like, when my accident first happened, there was a a town church, and it was quite large, uh, a holding capacity of 500, but on the prayer service for me the night of my accident, It was standing room only. Wow. Yeah. And um, the following day, I guess the bishop was saying a mass. And in his homily, he brought up this little boy that was in a terrible accident and needs all the prayers that he can get. And the little boy was me. (laughs) Um, But in the audience was the Mother Teresa's Order of Bridgeport. And once they heard about it, they told their secretary, who was in the pew with them that we need to go see this boy and pray for him. So they came to my room in the ICU and every time 
They came in to pray for me. They taped miraculous medals on each of my broken bones and prayed for me, which made my vital signs improve significantly. Like you could literally see them improve on the monitor while they were praying? Oh, yeah. I mean, not me, (laughs) but (laughs) others around me. (laughs) Well, and and we forget, like, you not only suffered a brain injury, you did have a lot of broken parts. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow. So did this kind of um, trend or pattern continue with the, I guess, connection to prayer and faith and your healing? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, um, like, there were a number of instances where I was going through a major surgery or the potential of that surgery where through the power of prayer, the that potential was eliminated. For instance... Yeah, um, give us an example. Yeah. So I had a tube down my throat for the first two weeks of my coma because I was not able to breathe. So they... um, were going to take the tube out due to fear of infection and all that. But um, once they did, they would need to put a tracheotomy into my throat, which is a small hole that goes into your windpipe and a small plastic piece is inserted into that hole that can be attached to a a breathing tube or whatnot. But obviously that scar would be in your neck for the rest of your life, no matter if you needed that or not. So my parents did not want that at all. So they were just like, well, let's have him try to take breaths on his own. So we would uh, bring in the sisters of the Mother Teresa's order, and they would pray over me. And each day that they came to pray, um, I would be able to breathe a little longer when the tube was extracted. And eventually, I began taking breaths um, indefinitely on my own. So they didn't have to do the tracheotomy? No, no. Wow. Yeah, that was a complete miracle. Wow. Gosh, it's so amazing how all of these things are so connected. And you just have to be open to the possibility 
you know, that you can find help in ways that you didn't know. Right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, as you, as you go through each stage and, and, um, you're, you're starting to come back to, or become Ryan 2.0. I love this concept of the fact that you took your second first steps of your life, right? (laughs) How many months after the accident were your second first steps? Oh, those were years. Years. Um, Yeah. So I would say about uh, six and a half years after. Wow. Yeah. So it was a long road. Yeah. (laughs) And it's still not over. (laughs) It's still not over because here's the thing, you know, a lot of times they say, well, wherever you are about two years after your traumatic brain injury, that's where you're going to be. Well, guess what? (laughs) Six years after you're walking again. Um, you know, and you progressed from there. I I love the stories about how you got back and and started doing a race that you used to do beforehand and you walked it right. And then the next year you walked more and then you ran eventually, correct? Um, no. So actually, um, before my accident, I would run it every year. And then after my accident, I participated in it with my electric wheelchair. And then the next year on a supportive tricycle. And the next year on forearm crutches, then with a single cane and so on. So you, it's so, it's so cool to see a snapshot of that progression, just saying it out loud. It's like, it truly does feel like a miracle. And I know that word has been used a lot and, and you've probably thought about it a lot. I mean, do you think that, what does a miracle even mean to you? Are you a living miracle? <laughs> um, uh, well, I would say Yes. But the Catholic Church would say no. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a literal definition. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so, so, believe it or not, um, maybe a year or so after my accident, some guys from the uh, Catholic Church, actually from Rome, they came to our house to, you know, uh, research me and all that to see if I would qualify to be um, one of Mother Teresa's miracles. And that would equate her into being a saint but their conclusion was that my recovery was not quick enough so it didn't go (laughs) wow so you can't be the reason mother Teresa became a saint but man that is so weird and funny and cool and everything i mean i can't even believe that there's standards and somebody made a decision like this seems like a movie we gotta make a movie 
<laughs> wow. So, um, you know, how do you feel when people say that you inspire them? Um, I feel great about it. I mean, it's what I want to do. I mean, what my goal in life is, is to make an impact on the world and to make the lives of others just a little better. And however I can do that is phenomenal for me. So it's interesting because people are always like, you're so inspirational and things like that. And I'm just living my life how I want to. I'm not doing anything special. <laughs> that is a really good way to put it because if you just live your life how you want to with pure intentions, it does have a positive impact on others. Right. Um, so I want to know a little bit about your current, like why are you living at the training center? We got to share with people your current athletic prowess and your current athletic goals. Yeah. So I moved out to the Olympics Training Center in uh, 2015. That was in preparation to hopefully go to the games in Rio. And that came true. <laughs> and then once I met that goal, I had to create a new goal which was meddling and that came true <laughs> wow so what tell uh tell us a little bit more about your sport and what adaptive needs you know you have yeah so earlier i mentioned how i can ride um in a straight line with three wheels yep so i ride a tricycle which I never call by its full name because I don't want to be labeled as an adult racing a tricycle. <laughs> 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 so I condense it to trike, but what it is is a standard road bike that I pedal with my legs. I'm in the full upright position but I just have a custom axle that's made in England that replaces the rear wheel with two rear wheels. Got it. So uh, you you solely ride. What's your event? Um, I have two, the road race and the time trial. Awesome. And what what was your best result so far? It was a silver in the Paralympic Games and the time trial. That just makes me want to cry. <laughs> you are <laughs> so amazing. Um, will you be aiming for the next Olympics then? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you're still young. You could race for a good decade or more. <laughs> So yeah. great. Yeah, um, I, I, <laughs> I did um, see that swimming was also a big, huge part of your recovery. So getting your body into that full movement without impact, I mean, that had to help 
immensely. Right. Definitely. So did you ever think about triathlon? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have, but I'm content with cycling. And, you know, it really wears on your body. So I don't think I'll be necessarily a lifetime athlete or whatnot. (laughs) Do you ever feel like how ironic it is that your accident happened when you were riding basically like a, a trike, a kid's, and here you are as an adult with no, um, I don't know, no anger or anything towards it, and you're back on three wheels. Yeah, yeah, I actually think about that every day. <laughs> wow. Um, it's pretty funny. Actually, because what I do is ride on the roads uh, many times a week, and cars are buzzing past me all the time. So, not only am I in a sport where I'm riding the mach- uh, machine close to what I was on when I was in my accident, but I'm forcing myself to be around cars all the time. (laughs) You didn't lose your fearlessness. (laughs) (laughs) So we've been on for quite a while today. I want to keep chatting, but I also want to be respectful of your time as an energy and, and your recovery or as an athlete and, your recovery time's important. Um, I want to point out to everyone that you need to get on Amazon and buy When the Lights Go Out by Ryan Boyle. So get over there. I'll put a link in our show notes to it. And I also want to ask you if you're working on a next book. I am, actually. Wow. And um, it's nearing completion, which I'm very excited about. So I... Set out um, November of 2016 to write my next book. And it covers all of my racing career and how I got into cycling, racing experiences of mine, things like that. And what I'm most excited about is that I was conscious for the whole time, so I can write all of the book. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's so great. Um, Well, we'll definitely get the word out about it when it is ready to roll. I can't wait to read it. Um, Ryan, before I sign off, I ask every person who comes on the show the same question at the end. And I ask this, if you could give our listeners one final piece of advice, one nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would that be? It would definitely be just to live life optimistically, you know, be friendly to people, uh, you know, shoot them a high or a smile or something while passing by because 
you don't know what's going on in their lives and you don't know what kind of impact that might have. And then just acting that way will wear off on you so that you're just a more optimistic and pleasant person to be around. So the effects will be great and, you know, Shoot. I lost you. Oh, really? Oh, there you are. You're back. <laughs> here's oh. what. Here's the last part. So we can cut this little part out. But you ended, the last thing you said was, the effects will be great. So if you just take a second here, pause, and then maybe continue after that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so... What you need to do is really set your mind to something and you can achieve it. If you're an optimistic person and you always look at the glass half full, like the amount of opportunities there for you are abundant and they'll never go away so that's how you have to live your life i absolutely love that answer i'm gonna have to print it out make some quotes and send them to everybody i know and (laughs) and a link to your book (laughs) well ryan thank you so much for sharing some of yourself today and your story Um, I'm just going to join the mass of people who tell you, hopefully on a daily basis, how inspiring you are, because you are. Thank you for coming on. Uh, It's made a difference to me just speaking with you today. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you. All right, let's go get another medal in 20, uh, what, 2020? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Not just any medal. It's going to be a gold. (laughs) Right. And we're optimistic (laughs) about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Hey there, everyone. How can you be anything except completely ready to recommit to a life lived optimistically right now? I mean, when Ryan said that his goal in life is to make an impact on the world and make the lives of others just a little better, I mean, it's... It's like a gut punch to those of us who move around in our own little world, sometimes too entrenched in the tiny details to remember that we're not all alone out here. We're surrounded by incredible, amazing, inspirational people around every corner. All we have to do is open our eyes, smile, make eye contact, be friendly. Because as Ryan says, and he is so right, You don't know what's going on in anyone else's lives. So be the best person you can to spread love and light in this world because this is all we have. And don't forget to pick up Ryan's book on Amazon, When the Lights Go Out, A Boy Given a Second Chance. And when he does write his next book, we're going to get the word out about that too. And we will all be cheering him on in the next Paralympics, that I'm sure of. 
Uh, Ryan has such an incredible energy. I believe that whatever happens, he will be happy. Remember what his voicemail said? I'm out making something of my life. So guess what? It's time for us to do the same. But before I go, don't forget to check out Health IQ to see if you qualify for better rates on life insurance due to the fact that you are a healthy, fit individual. So go to healthiq.com backslash RTW and tell them I sent you. All right, then you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and make something of your life and run this world. Have a great workout and I'll see you next week.